This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Breaking news. LeBron is a Laker. Clippers team will win a championship this year. Paul George, corner three. Yes, sir! Bryant has to put it up with the buzzer. Backs it in! Ha-ha! He backs in the three! And the Lakers win the game! What's good, everybody? Welcome back to the Battle for LA podcast, part of the Clutch Points and Blue Wire Networks. We are entering, uh, well, this is almost week three of our NBA hiatus. Uh been a tough ride so far some of us are going crazy some of us have already just lost our minds um as always your clippers beat writer for clutch points tomara zarley here um here with ryan ward our lakers beat writer for clutch points not much to do for us right now uh we're joined this week uh, in this episode by ben golliver of the washington post ben thank you for joining us today it's my pleasure. Am I Switzerland here? Do I have to get in between the two of you guys and, and negotiate <laughs> peace treaties or, or how does that work? Hey, you never know, man. You never know. We try to keep it we try to keep it civil, but there are times where Ryan just goes off the rails and we gotta, you know. Oh, I go back. off the rails. Okay. Ryan goes off the rails, yeah. Uh, yeah, thank you for joining us. I know it's a weird time in the NBA right now, in the world rather. Um, how are you holding up with the whole, you know, coronavirus stay at home order here in LA? I mean are you even in LA? I am in LA. Um, yeah, I live in Playa del Rey, so I think I've I've got it better than most people. The beach is pretty close by. You know, practicing the social distancing rules, obviously, trying to get daily exercise, and you know, trying to make the most of a weird situation. I I just encourage everybody. You know, if you had any like New Year's resolutions, like now's the time to do them, right? Whether it's diet or exercise, <laughs> well or said. or sleep or anything else. Like we're all boxed in, so you know, try to check some of those things off your list, but. More than anything, I'm just trying to stay safe and, and try to keep doing the job, too. You know, I think that's a big part of it. And, um, you know, a lot of people around the NBA, whether it's executives or agents or players, most everybody's sitting around just like we are. So, you know, there are opportunities to kind of tell stories and connect with people. And if you can do that, you just keep doing it. Now, are, are there things that you're catching up on that you didn't have time to before? I mean, what's some of the things that you've been doing, um, you know, in your off time? Oh, the main thing is sleep, man. You know, I, I, I'm sure you're the same way, especially after these Clippers games where Kawhi and Paul George are taking till <laughs> 1 a.m. to get ready after these games, right? It's like we're not sleeping at all. So I've been going to bed way earlier. You know, my one hobby that I like to do just as like a mental decompression, I like to build Legos. I know that sounds a little weird for a grown adult to admit. Legos. I highly recommend them. It's so peaceful. It's just tranquil. So I got myself this big set, the Taj Mahal. It's like, you know, going to basically I'm going to have to sell my TV and use my TV stand to display this thing. But, uh, (laughs) I, I, you know, I've kind of been my long-term project and, uh, you know, just little things like that to keep the brain engaged. That's another thing too, is, you know, we go so fast during this NBA season. I'm sure you guys feel it where it's just, you know, night after night, game after game. And to take all those games away, it's a lot of free time that, you know, usually goes unstructured. So for me, it's about 
trying to put some structure back into it so that I'm not just sitting and staring at Instagram for 14 hours a day or watching TikTok videos or God knows what else. You know? <laughs> That's interesting. I, I wouldn't have guessed Legos, but I'm, I'm a big Lego fan myself. A lot of Star Wars stuff in, in the past. Not, not so much right now. Uh, a lot of the Bionicle stuff a couple years ago. That was a while ago. Jeez. Um, well, get back yeah, so into just, it. Rediscover the hobby, Tomer. Now's the time. Well, the you, thing you, is you need room. You need room for it. You need room to display these things. I might have to, like you said, move my TV, sell my TV stand. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll stick with video games. You guys can have your Legos. I'll stick with video games. <laughs> um, jumping right into it, though. Um, you know, we're entering week three right now. Uh, we've, we've been asking our guests this so far. Like, what is your take on the NBA's return? Do you think they'll return? Do you think they'll return to a, a bit of regular season and then playoffs, return right to the playoffs? What do you think um, the NBA is looking at right now? Well, personally, I'm pretty I'm pretty skeptical that there's going to be any more regular season. I just think it's so logistically weird to send home all the players and say you can't go into the practice facilities, and then you're going to try to tell these guys on lottery teams, hey, you've got like 15 meaningless games that you're going to have to come back in randomly two or three months from now when you thought you were going to be on summer vacation and just play this string out. I mean, I just have a really hard time seeing that, especially because they'd be doing it essentially in front of uh, empty you know empty stands because it's very difficult to envision a scenario where it's safe to play games in front of fans i think the nba's absolute best case scenario is to have an abbreviated playoffs probably you would have to do it at a single site location so they're not traveling back and forth across the country but to me i mean every week that passes it gets more and more dire from the public health standpoint in terms of how many people have been infected in terms of how many deaths there are in terms of the travel restrictions that we're facing. And so I think from a new standpoint, everything is kind of going the wrong direction uh, for the NBA in terms of hoping that they can get this thing back on track. That being said, everyone who's talked to Adam Silver says he's being completely straightforward with what he says in these interviews, which is he doesn't want to give it up until the last possible moment, right? He doesn't want to announce a cancellation. They want to salvage the playoffs if they can. I wrote a story over the weekend. I mean, the estimate right now, if they can't get the playoffs on track, is that this whole thing would cost the NBA at least a billion dollars, if not more. And it could wind up, you know, having the the largest salary cap decline for next season in the history of the league. So this is like a complete financial disaster. So they have a lot of motivation to try to kind of salvage the playoffs in one form or another. I just have a a sneaking suspicion they're going to run out of time. I mean, even if you look at the news from today, the Olympics are likely going to be postponed for a year. I mean, that's a you know a tournament that doesn't really even begin until late July, and they're already making contingency plans, you know, for the future. And mm-hmm. that just kind of makes the NBA schedule planning just look pretty difficult, you know. Well, looking at the you know in terms of, it'd be hard to ask players to go right into the playoffs without much time. Much you know, obviously you know guys can't need games to get into game shape. They need time to to get into regular shape. Um, so like you can't just ask guys to pick up pick it up off, off the ground and, and start the playoffs, right? I mean, you need time to get into game shape, get into some 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 shape at all before you start the playoffs. Otherwise, you're looking at very bad product. There, there's no question, but the problem is right now they can't even have two guys practice in the same gym because it's not safe, right? So I, how are you going to hold your training camp in June if uh, if it's not even safe to have all the guys in the building together? I mean, these are. You know, obviously, this is an unprecedented challenge. There's no playbook here that Adam Silver can say, okay, here's how long we're going to try to get people back in shape. I mean, the thing that I worry about 
even more than the quality of play, which you're describing. And, and let's be honest, we can all imagine a few different players who are going to show back up 15 pounds heavier, right? I mean, we can all just kind of right, picture yeah. who those guys are. <laughs> what I'd be worried about is the injury factor, right? Because we see it every single year during yeah. training camp. Guys have hamstrings or everything else where, you know, they, they come back in, start ramping up and something goes sideways and they get hurt. I mean, the last thing you want to do is try to rush this playoffs back in and, you know, guys are getting uh, banged up right off the top and it, it does affect the quality of the product. I mean, I, I hate to be so pessimistic because I want to hang on to the same hope that, uh, you know, Adam Silver does and everyone else. I just think that we're looking at a situation where logistically it's very, very difficult for them to get this back on track. Now, that could all change if, you know, this flattening the curve approach works, if, uh you know, the, the health environment improves rapidly here in the country. But I think, unfortunately, we're still just kind of getting started into it. I think when you compare the American experience with coronavirus to some of these other countries, like New York is really starting to feel it, right? Um, mm-hmm. But still, they're not where Italy was. They're not where Iran was. They're not where China was uh, yet in terms of case numbers and everything else. And so we know it's going to get significantly worse. Um, and so, you know, it, once it, once New York goes through it, a lot of other big cities are going to go through it as well. And, you know, it just could come to a situation where, um, the NBA has no choice but to pull the plug. So you, you honestly think that right now it's, they're, they're going to go into the playoffs, arguably the healthiest these teams have ever been at this point in the season. Right. Uh, but you think it's going to be more, uh, dangerous for players just because, they just haven't played for so long and they're going to be out of shape, uh, you know, maybe the majority of them, that they could just get injured quickly? Well, yeah. I mean, anytime you have a huge disruption to your schedule, I mean, NBA guys are huge routine fanatics just like all of us, right? Like, Or at least like me anyways. I try to keep a pretty strict routine day to day. But NBA guys are maniacal about it. And their entire routine has been disrupted. I mean, some of these guys were being kept where their uh, team plays rather than actually being able to be home until the NBA did announce the hiatus, right? So Uh in some cases, they're just stuck in little apartments, right? Or condos. Uh, They don't have access to a gym. They're not able to work out. I mean, you know, they're probably trying to do whatever they possibly can in a home gym. I mean, I think you saw Serge Ibaka put out a video where, you know, of what he was doing at home. Not everybody's like LeBron with a gigantic mansion and probably a you know full court basketball court and everything else that he has access to. I mean, that's right. just not the standard thing, right? Yeah, and I think so, I saw Quinn Cook running in his apartment, which looked no bigger than mine. <laughs> right. He's like running to the kitchen and back, and I'm like, oh man. That's what I'm. That's what I'm saying. I'm worried about me being in shape for the playoffs, and I don't even have to play. <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> I mean, this is this is a real challenge logistically. And so, you know, if it gets to a point where they say, okay, you can open up the practice facilities, it's now safe. I mean, that would really help a lot. That would get guys into you know more of a training camp preseason type mentality, and it would allow them to kind of ramp in. But again, you're running out of time here a little bit. I think one example that we should point to in terms of how quickly this situation is evolving is remember the Thursday after uh, the season was suspended, Adam Silver came out and said, hey, I'm hoping for a four to six week period here where we can kind of get things back going. By Sunday, just three days later, the Centers for Disease Control had said, you know what, we can't have any mass gatherings for two months, right? So in a 72 hour period, Adam Silver's dream scenario of one month immediately escalated to two months, right? Like that just happened, boom, like that overnight. And like I'm saying, now you're seeing the Olympics, which is more than three months away, practically four months away, has already now in the process of being postponed, right? So that's why I just think I'm not really holding out hope that they're going to play. I think if they're able to salvage anything, it'll be a big win. 
uh, if it winds up all being canceled and we sort of come back uh, and you know pick things up next season, you know that wouldn't surprise me at all. So you mentioned running out of time. When is the what is the deadline to start the season in your mind? Is it August? Uh, is it is it maybe September? I mean, how late are we talking? I mean, I think that the the phrasing that they've used right now would be you know. Hopefully you can start it in June and have everything complete by August so that you don't have a huge carryover impact into next season. I mean, to right. me, I think you have to kind of balance things because your fans expect your games at a certain time, right? And so to just randomly say, hey, next season now has to start two months later to accommodate the playoffs or uh, now we're going to try to start things on Christmas this year and push the whole thing back, that disrupts a lot of fans' viewing habits. And again, it's a type of situation where does that have some carryover negative impact from a revenue standpoint or a viewership standpoint? Cause everybody's just kind of like scrambled and thrown off. Right. Like if it was me making the decision personally, I would be trying to protect next season and keep it as sim as similar as possible uh, to what fans are usually expecting, because I would be really worried about the lost revenue from this year's playoffs. And I would be telling myself, look, we can start to get back on track if we just have a normal season next year. We know the fans are going to be excited to see Kevin Durant back, see Steph Curry back. LeBron will be back with the Lakers. Giannis will be back with the Bucks. You know, all the major players are going to be back on the court. So that puts us in a situation where we can, you know, kind of get back on, on track financially. I would be nervous about introducing more variables by delaying the next season schedule. So if that meant at some point, you know, in the next month or two, I had to make a decision, okay, we cancel this season, but save next season. Uh, to me, that would be worth it. Now, I don't know exactly how Adam Silver feels about that. I'm not sure how the players would necessarily feel about that. But you can imagine if you're a player, you don't want this season in a delayed situation to run up through September. And then they're saying, hey, by the way, you get a two-month summer or a two-week summer break, and we need you coming back in October to start the next season, right? I mean, you're not going to be cool with that because uh, that just seems like overload, uh, overwork, and uh, again, not the traditional NBA calendar. I mean, plus we have to, to keep in mind, once the season's over, they've got to do the draft, right? Um, mm -hmm. So they can't cancel the draft. You might be able to cancel Summer League, right? But you can't cancel the draft, and you also have to do the free agency period as well. So you can't squeeze that time too tightly. You, you got to make sure you have enough room for everything on the calendar. This is there's, there's a lot going on there. There's just so much to consider. There is um, there is one thing I was going to ask you though, Ben. Uh, we had Eric Pincus on the pod uh, last week, and I asked him, um, "How do you think the media will be handled during this situation? Do you think we get access? Do you think uh, it, it turns into just one big conference call after games? What do you think?" It's a great question. Uh, a lot depends on how bad the, the situation gets, but I would assume if they believe it's safe to play uh, games with it, you know, you need to have probably 100 people there in terms of players, trainers, and television broadcasters, right? Like that would be the, the smallest situation that you could uh, imagine. I would guess they would have uh, some accommodation for media as well. Now, does that mean everybody gets in? Um, it's hard to say. And part of it, it would be, where do they hold the games? Because there's some discussion about would you hold it at a full-size arena or would you shift it to a practice facility? And as you guys know, you can't exactly have a playoff-size scrum at the Clippers or Lakers practice facility, right? Where are you going to put everybody? Uh, yeah. they, they can't all work there, right? So, um, yeah, there's some logistical challenges there. But, look, the NBA understands that if they're trying to recoup lost revenue here, 
and, and trying to put themselves in the best possible financial situation, the media will actually help them with that, right? Like the more coverage of whatever the playoffs look like, the better, because the NBA is trying to get to as many of its fans as possible and to increase viewership ratings uh, and everything else during a tough time. So I'm sure they would not leave the media out to dry. There would be some accommodation for it. And as you guys know, like the media was part of their decision making even before the shutdown, right? Like they came through with the new media guidelines. The media guideline wasn't you guys can't cover the team. It was just like, hey, we have to do this in a press conference. You can't be in the locker room. Like they didn't want to shut people out entirely. And, and I think the NBA has always been, uh, you know, pretty strongly in favor of access, you know, and, and we can probably gripe and moan every once in a while. Oh, we don't get this player enough. We don't get this guy enough, whatever. Or some of these guys take too long to come do the, po- the, the post games. But, you know, ultimately, like the league does make its players, you know, very available um, on a regular basis. And I would expect that to continue even during a tough time, because let's frank, uh, let's face it, everybody needs each other here, right? Uh, the media needs the NBA, the NBA needs the media. Um, and I, I think that relationship is mutually beneficial, uh, and it would continue even in a, a scaled down environment. I wanted to talk a little bit about Team USA. Before we get into that, though, I want to tell you guys about Bet Online. Uh, as you guys know, there's no MLB, no NHL, no MLB, NBA. There's nothing going on right now. You might think that there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner still has hundreds of sports, events, and even games to wager on. Or just let them bring Vegas right to you with their online casino and blackjack. They're all open 24 hours a day and all online, including their $750,000 poker series. If you're into props and entertainment betting, you can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the weather. (laughs) Visit their website and join today to receive a 100% welcome bonus with their first deposit. Be sure to use promo code BLUEWIRE. That's promo code B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E. Bet online, your online wagering sports experts. Um, So Team USA, I mean, we... If it gets moved back to, say, 2021... LeBron's a year older. I know he said that he he's thought about playing for Team USA. A lot of guys like Steph, like just a lot of the big name stars who sat out last summer, um, would have been trying to play this summer. Uh, how do you think that affects next year's team in 2021? Does LeBron still try to play? I mean, I'm not sure if Kawhi was in talks to try and get in there, but I know he and he and uh, Paul George and Montres Harrell were named finalists for the roster. Um, could you see guys is dropping out just due to, due to age? Well, the first thing I would say is guys are going to be missing basketball. This is like the longest and most thorough Lent that we've all gone through as a society, right? Like we're all giving up everything that we love and care about, right? And mm-hmm. so usually what happens by the end of that Lent period, like people get really excited to go back to whatever it was that they gave up, right? And that's going to happen for these players, I promise you. These guys, especially the high-level competitors, the superstar-level guys you're describing, they are going to be so jacked up to be back on the court. And I think you're going to find a lot of guys sort of like, quote-unquote, falling in love with the game again. So it would not surprise me at all if they're all stuck inside a quarantine for three or four months and it, it cancels these playoffs. If come next season, a lot of these guys are just like, you know what? I do want to go play off in the playoffs. Now I know what it was like to have the game taken away from me. I'm healthy. Let's go do the Olympics, right? I, I could absolutely see that ha- having a, a mental and emotional impact on high-level players. Now, it comes back to the scheduling question. If you did delay the start of next season so that it ends later, now you're crunching how much time you had next summer 
in between the end of the playoffs and the Olympics, right? And I think mm-hmm. usually guys want a little bit of downtime in there. So that would be another argument in favor of not delaying next uh, next season because you could potentially increase the quality of players who decide they want to play on next summer's USA Olympic team. I think personally, um, you know, Tokyo is a pretty desirable destination, right? I think that especially from a marketing standpoint, um, yes. anytime superstar level guys get the chance to go to Asia uh, to perform in front of crowds there, it's really, mm-hmm. really good for their businesses. So I don't think that this delay would necessarily reduce the likelihood that guys would play. Um, the age factor is definitely uh, most pronounced with LeBron. But the other names that you mentioned are all guys who are, you know, what, like 32 and younger. So from that standpoint, mm-hmm. I don't think one year makes a huge difference. Yeah, LeBron's not missing that. Are you kidding? If he can add another gold medal to his resume. <laughs> oh, that'd well, be number four for him. You know who really needs the help, though, is Popovich, man, after the World Cup. like, Oh, he, yeah. He's better true. be spending this whole quarantine recruiting, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was a tough World Cup, but that roster also wasn't wasn't the best. Um, okay, so with this break, co- coming out of this break, um, let's say the regular season is over. Uh, let's talk NBA awards. Uh, who do you think wins the MVP award? Look, I mean, if, if I was voting today, and even if I was voting and the season doesn't come back on track, I think it's got to be Giannis. I understand LeBron was pushing hard, and I think that a lot of that attention he was getting was warranted. Um, The Lakers have been, you know, arguably the most impressive turnaround story in the entire league from where they were last year to this year. But I think when you look at the Bucks' level of dominance, their record, Giannis' statistical output, um, the two-way play offense and defense, um, he's just been the most dominant player for the most dominant team. Um, and you know, to me that, that is pretty much what I usually vote on. So, you know, to me, it would be Giannis fairly clearly. I think ESPN put something out today where, uh, most of the voters, uh, were agreeing with me on that one. Um, I, you know, I think it's a real shame that we were denied this MVP chase down the stretch. And I think if the playoffs do wind up being canceled, not only do we lose that sort of MVP, uh, buzz debate that was going to you know, pick up here over the next couple uh, weeks, but we also potentially lose this idea of like who's the king of the NBA, who's the number one player in the league. And I think not only LeBron and Giannis, but Kawhi, that's been pretty unsettled, right? Like that that is wide open and it was going to be playing out in the playoffs this year, just like Durant versus Kawhi, who's the best player, uh, was playing out in last year's playoffs before Durant got injured. So um, to me, th- these are some of the biggest shames uh, of the cancellation of the suspension of the season is that we maybe don't get those questions answered. We don't get to see it happen. And the, the highlights of the season, to me personally, were every time LeBron's going head-to-head against Kawhi or every time LeBron's going head-to-head against Giannis, I mean, that's been absolutely must-see TV. Millions of viewers for every single one of those matchups. You're getting all these hilarious debates with, like, Kyle Kuzma's trainer weighing in. I mean, you know, it's just <laughs> the amount of, yeah. of discussion and mileage we've gotten out of those head-to-head matchups has been great. And that's what we want to see in the playoffs, right? We want to see Lakers, Clippers... Western Conference Finals, and the winner of that faced the Bucks, and now who we're going to crown the new king, right? And uh-huh. at this point, um, you know, we're we're all just kind of left waiting, and it's a huge bummer, and I feel terribly for those guys too. Yeah, because LeBron, I mean, he's right. been spending 15, 20 years of his life, you know, chasing the title, chasing Jordan. Kawhi is trying to get three titles with three teams. Giannis is trying to go back to back MVP, reach the finals for the first time. I mean. These are huge milepost moments for all three of those guys. 
and now they just have to sit at home and, and learn to play the guitar or, or dance with their kids <laughs> on, on social media, man. It's, it, it really it almost makes me sick to my stomach on their behalf, you know? All right, well, you named, you named what Giannis is doing with the guitar, what LeBron is doing with his kids dancing. What's Kawhi doing right now? Well, you know better than I would, Tamir, but uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure anyone knows, do we? I, mean, I think he's. I think he's playing with Legos. <clears throat> I. I think he might just be reading a newspaper or something. He might actually just be reading a newspaper. Reading a newspaper. Well, the thing with Kawhi though, his hands are so big, he'd actually have to use the child-sized Lego blocks, like the big blocks, <laughs> because he's not even going to be able to maneuver the normal-sized blocks. So. That's true. That's true. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, all right, well, moving on to the Rookie of the Year. Who, who's your Rookie of the Year this year? Well, that's another race that we got screwed out of, man, because uh, yeah. Zion's the best rookie on the court, right? I mean, there is no question you're saying who is the best player who is a rookie this year, it's Zion. I mean, he's been mm-hmm. ridiculous, but how many games did he really even wind up playing? I mean, not very many, and so you have to give it to Ja, I think, in a runaway. Uh, you know, to me, he was way better, and he had a way bigger impact on his team winning as a rookie than I ever expected. Coming into the season, I honestly thought Memphis was going to be the worst team in the West. Like, I think they were going to finish dead last, 15th. And instead, they were on track to to make the playoffs, which is just crazy. So, you know, I think you got to throw Taylor Jenkins into that Coach of the Year conversation. I wouldn't give it to him. I'd actually give it to Vogel. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, what they did was, was kind of eye-opening. And a lot of it was just Jaws, not only his game, but his charisma and his leadership at a young age. So I think he's a, you know, kind of a slam dunk winner there. I think Ryan and I have had this debate where, yeah, Zion's incredible, but he's only played 19 games. Um, I think Jaws been d- doing it the entire year. I don't know if he's missed more than five or so games uh, due to injury, and he's just been, like you said, he's carried Memphis to likely a playoff spot. Um, I mean, New Orleans had a pretty pretty easy schedule down the stretch. Memphis had a tough schedule, so maybe that could have flipped. But, um, yeah, just the way Morant was playing, doing it the whole year, I think it was tough to, to go against him there. I think you got to uh, say, like, uh, Morant deserves it. But if Zion played the whole year, he'd probably run away with it, right? Might be unanimous. I mean, Zion, I mean, he's packed a lot into those 19 games. Insane. You know I mean? He has. Insane. He really has. And it's not just the highlights, too. I mean, it's the smart hustle plays. It's uh, attracting the defense, making the right read. I mean, he has a lot of work to do on the defensive end. I think that a lot of us you know, are just willing to give him a pass because he's like 12 years old and he just dunks like basically no one else we've ever seen, right? I mean, there's definitely holes in his game that he can work on and fill out. But, you know, in terms of like, I mean, he just reminds me of like rookie year Blake Griffin, you know, of just a guy who's just this physical force that nobody really knows how to defend, who can take his man one-on-one at, virtually against almost any team and right. who is just a threat to to posterize you and make you embarrassed, like humble you, you know? And, and I think very rarely do we see that from rookies. Okay, moving on to the Defensive Player of the Year Award. Who is your Defensive Player of the Year? Um, it's actually Giannis. I mean, it's tricky. There's a lot of good candidates. Oh, wow. um, the reason why I have Giannis is because their defense has just been you know, better than everyone else's defense by a large amount. And I often go off, you know, who's the best defensive player on the best defensive team. Um, and I think that as spectacular as he's been on offense, uh, you know, to me uh, – like their defense is really what helps them win and what helps them just like smoke teams on a night to night basis. They may have a really smart scheme. Um, and Giannis is so versatile and long, you know, it just, it's all kind of built around him. I mean, if you said Anthony Davis, um, you know, if, if someone wanted to throw in Patrick Beverly, I mean, there's other guys you can definitely make strong cases for. Um, but you know, to me, I, I would go Giannis. 
Okay, that's interesting. You don't hear much talk about Giannis Defensive Player of the Year this year as much. I know last year he finished, what was it, a top three finalist, I believe. Um, Sounds right. This year you haven't heard much about that. So interesting pick there. What about what about the sixth man of the year? You know, um, that to me is a trickier one. Uh, who do you guys have? Adam Silver. <laughs> I would say I would I would say it's it's Dennis Schroeder, but Montrez Harrell's probably second, and Lou Williams is probably third in there. Um, but I, I I think what Dennis Schroeder has done consistently and done well off the bench for the Thunder this season, carrying him to what a five seed, possibly a four seed if they uh, resume the season. Um, I think Schroeder sort of has the edge on Trez there. Yeah, I actually voted for Trez last year. Well, actually, the, the Post won't let me vote because we have this high horse policy about not voting. But um, <laughs> I unofficially voted for Montrez last year, which I know was, you know, not kind of the conventional pick. Um, I think he just does so many different things that can impact winning. And the fact that basically the entire season for him has been coming off the bench. I mean, the numbers are, you know, even better than last year, 19 and 7. Um, you know, I think, to be honest, I hadn't given this one a lot of thought before we're talking, but I think Trez would probably get my pick. Really? Even though he has, like, there's a lot made about his defensive deficiencies, his size, his lack of rebounding, stuff like that. You'd still give it to him? I would. I mean, I think that he is going to hurt a team with, with those kinds of def- uh, deficiencies. Like, let's say he signs as a free agent somewhere else, and now he has to be your starting center, right? Like, he gets some big contracts, so you have to play him a lot. Or you decide, okay, he's going to be our starting power forward and we have to play him with a traditional center. I think in those contexts, uh, his weaknesses are going to come through a lot. But I don't view, like, when the Clippers lose, I'm not really, like, blaming it on Trez that often. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm mm-hmm. more thinking, like, well, you know, Paul was out injured, right? Or some other guy was out injured. Or they just right. kind of all collectively laid an egg. And I do think, like, you know, more often than not, he's winning his matchup against all different types of guys and when they're really clicking his energy is just popping off the court and he's contributing lots of different ways so i mean when you're looking at how many guys really score as frequently as he does off the bench while also being an effective defensive player i mean yes there's some limitations uh, i hear that for sure but then also you know being you know a, a very key energy guy and tone setter and a leader in certain situations too. I mean, he just brings a lot to the table and I tend to favor guys who, you know, have a wide ranging skill set as opposed, as opposed to like a, you know, just a, a scoring minded guy like a Lou Williams. I think in mm-hmm. general, uh, the average voter treats guys like Lou Williams and, and Jamal Crawford more friendly than I do. Like I just, I'm a little bit lower on, on players that are like that. Um, but you know, to, to each his own, I, I don't feel very strongly about that one, one way or the other. Okay. Um, I don't know if you've given this much thought. I know I haven't, but most improved player of the year. Is it, is it easy? To me, it's Luca. You know, I think that people get Ooh, mad about the whole second year thing, but Luca went from a guy who was like a top 30 ish type of player to like a top five MVP candidate. Right. And that's the most Ooh. important type of improvement that there is. And so I, I hear people say Pascal Siakam, uh, you know, I've heard a lot of other Brandon Ingram is a very popular name, I think, especially among, you know, Lakers uh, fans who are or maybe still, you know, uh, keeping an eye on him. But mm-hmm. in terms of like whose improvement has mattered the most to me, it's Luca. He's turned his team into a playoff team, which was no guarantee coming into the season. And he's also turned them into one of the most efficient offenses in NBA history. And his fingerprints are all over it. Right. Like, I mean, he's like running the whole show there as a playmaker. I mean, you look at how popular he is in terms of all-star votes. I mean, right on down the list, 
it was just an insane breakout season for him. So he would get my vote in a runaway, but I know a lot of people hate the second year thing. And, and I do get that, but, uh, you know, to me, it's, it's not, it's kind of open and shut basically. Brian, would you agree with that? Do you, do you think Brandon Ingram's, uh, you know what? Up there, Luca is a really good case. I didn't, I didn't even think of that. Cause I think when you think of Luca now, you think of him as already being a superstar. So he's already in that MVP conversation rather than all the kind of lower tier awards like that. But I mean, Ingram, Ingram's got a hell of a case, you know, being an all-star for the first time, finally, like kind of coming into his own, uh, starting to like become the player that everybody thought he was going to be. But Bam Adebayo is a good one too. I think, I think he's, he's uh, kind of changed the heat. Uh, uh, he's become a better player than anybody thought he'd become. Um, Trey Young, too. I mean, that's yeah, a sec- second-year guy, there, too. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just the fact that Luka and Trey have gotten to the level they have already after a rookie season is just incredible. I mean, that right. story alone. Like, like you were saying, people think of him as a superstar <clears throat> now, but remember what people were saying about him last year. Oh, he's still heavy, right? Or, oh, mm-hmm. is he going to be able to lead an offense? Or, you know, he, he his efficiency fell apart down the stretch. He hit the rookie wall. Like those are the things that we were talking about with Luca at the end of last season, and he came in and was so good so early this season that like every narrative that was out there, he just like sniped them all. Right? It's just like one after another, he took them down. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's that's kind of why I go with him. It's like might be kind of a boring pick, but also it reminds me a little bit of Giannis's breakout a few years ago, where he won the Most Improved Player, and you're like, oh my god, like this guy's about to be an MVP candidate every year for the next eight seasons. And that's how I feel about Luca, right? Like he's going to be a top five MVP guy for the entire 2020s, pretty much. So uh, th- that's that's why I go him. I hope we're not robbed of any more uh, much time going down the stretch. Um, okay, coach of the year. Who's your, I think you mentioned it earlier, but who's your coach of the year? It's Vogel, man. Coming into this season, I actually thought he had like maybe the hardest job of the entire league in terms of pressures of making it work with LeBron in terms of mm-hmm. working in a new superstar player in Anthony Davis, in terms of like almost a completely remade starting five, a whole bunch of just like kind of oddball characters off the bench, and then just massive, massive expectations in sort of like a championship or bust environment. And we hardly ever talk about Frank Vogel because there's been like no friction whatsoever. It's just been like the smoothest locker room that I can remember. It's very <laughs> kind of, strange. Like one of the safest kind of feel bad for him because he doesn't but, get enough credit, not even close. Right. And like the, I mean, Ryan, you know this, the last six years, it's just been a, a freaking soap opera every year oh, with yeah. the Lakers, right? And a turnstile for the Yeah. For and now it's like the most boring team in the league. I mean, not really, but like <laughs> off the court, like they're not, there's no real drama. I mean, outside of LeBron going after China and everything during the, uh, the Hong Kong controversy, like that was like pretty much the only real major negative PR headline they had all season. So, yeah. Um, I give Vogel a lot of credit for that. I mean, connecting with LeBron by itself is tricky. Just ask David Blatt, you know, just ask a lot of other coaches. And, and they <laughs> had an instant, instant rapport, incredible record, um, and huge turnaround from last season. So, I mean, you know, I, I was actually pretty critical of how that coaching search worked. I mean, remember, like, they had the birthday cake for Ty Lue. What's happening with Luke Walton? Like, you know, Frank's like the fourth choice. But this is like the greatest fourth choice in NBA history. <laughs> That's true. Like, Very true. It. Yeah, I said uh, midway through the season, I was tripping out because I was like, I, I mean, they just kept winning, right? You go in the back and you're trying to think about what you want to write about and the quotes that you have. And you're like, there's no drama whatsoever. And the entire time I've covered the Lakers, 
since 2011, there has always been drama. There's always something. There's always something lingering, and it just hasn't been the case this year at all. I mean, even when things got a little bit tense, it just died down really fast. These guys all play well together. They all seem to like each other. I mean, I think the only thing you could say, which was somewhat kind of tense, was the Kuzma situation and him potentially getting traded. But then when that was over, it was like, that's gone. Like, back to basketball. It was, I've never seen a season so focused on basketball and, and, and not so much off the court uh, the entire time I've been doing this. No, for sure. And that's like not how it usually goes for LeBron. Like even in his good seasons in Cleveland, right, his his most recent ones, there was like crazy drama the whole way through. Um, and, you know, he, he maybe he checks out for a month and or he's frustrated with the team around him or whatever else. And so, uh, so much of modern coaching is like getting the most out of your superstars, making sure they're comfortable and happy and capable of performing at the highest level. And you've got Anthony Davis playing in the defensive player of the year conversation. You've got LeBron in the MVP conversation. And you've got the Lakers with the best record in the West. Like, that's a pretty open and shut case for Frank. And by the way, we haven't even talked about Jason Kidd for six months. And, and coming into the season, that was a huge storyline too, right? It's like yeah. how quick until uh, Frank Vogel gets knifed in the back, right? And there hasn't even been a knife scene <laughs> since October. So, And I forget uh, that uh, Lionel Hollins is on the bench too sometimes. I'm like, oh, yeah, I see him in practice. Yeah, Lionel Hollins is on the coaching staff. So even that's not, you know, a big deal. The fact he's got two former head coaches sitting next to him. For sure. Yeah. Well, final one before we let you go, Ben. Uh, who's your executive of the year? Sam Presti. Um, and oh, I think that most one. people will usually go for, like, you know, maybe Rob Polinko for getting Anthony Davis or maybe even Lawrence Frank for the huge blockbuster to get Kawhi um, and to get Paul George that last summer. But – Sam Presti, first of all, the Thunder are basically better this year than they were last year, which makes no sense at all, and no one in the entire world predicted that, right? And they actually had a chance mm-hmm. to win a series um, if the playoffs come back on, uh, and they didn't win one last year, which is nuts after trading two guys who are like, you know, a former MVP and a top three MVP finisher, right? But not only did they have a good season this year, he had like seven first-round picks out of the tra- out of the two trades um, in, in a potential franchise player in Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Um, I don't know what else to even compare that to in terms of a haul and in terms of like a, a quick uh, retooling effort. Chris Paul has been an all NBA level player this season uh, for much of the season. I actually thought he was a better and more effective player than Russell Westbrook, who really came alive, you know, after they made the trade down in Houston to uh, the Clint Capella trade. But to me, it's like this year was just the icing on the cake. It was all about how many draft picks he was able to pull from those uh from those two trades last summer. And then, you know, which young player could he get? Shays looked great for them. And he got an insane number of draft picks. And like, if you're a small market organization and you're always afraid your stars are going to leave and you know, you have to trade guys. A lot of times that leads to some panic trades or guys, you know, selling for pennies on the dollar. And in this case, I thought Sam Presti just nailed it. You know, every single aspect of it. And even the PR side, like I think the Thunder were able to kind of maintain pretty positive relationship with their fan base too, which is not easy when you're trading guys like Westbrook and Paul George. So right. I would give it to him. Uh, I know the the executives actually vote on that one, so we'll see who they give it to. But to me, that's like the easiest pick of all of them. See, I would have I would have gone with Lawrence Frank at the beginning of the year, but mostly because it felt inevitable that the Thunder would just try to trade all this, all the big name guys away, try to trade Gallo, an expiring guy, um, to get some pieces back, try to trade Chris Paul, but. 
the fact that they kept everyone and kept winning, and now they're, I think they're nine wins behind last year's total, and they had 22 remaining games. And on the pace they were on, they were they were on pace to win 50 this year. Um, so I just think that's incredible. I, I kind of agree with you on that. I just, it was incredible what the Thunder were doing. Um, I, I have nothing to say about them. They're just surprising, and I really wanted to see where they were going to go um, in the playoffs. But That's the best case. Presti, for sure. Makes, I mean, I don't think anybody really has much of an argument. I think that uh, he hit it out of the park, and he's going to continue to. I mean, that guy has just mastered uh, the art of, of running a uh, small market team. That just can't be easy, and he does a great job at it every year. I mean, honestly, my number two pick right my, right now might still be Lawrence Frang, which is kind of funny because, you know, you get both sides of that trade. But you look at the moves they made at the deadline, I thought were kind of underrated in terms of Morris and Jackson, just the, the around the edges move. And then you on top of that, you get these, you know, two huge superstar players, which your franchise has never gotten before. Um, you know, to me, I thought on the big stuff and the small stuff, you know, they really, really had a nice year from a front office standpoint. But I would still go Pressy. But, I mean, you could throw... Palinka in here too, man. Like that was another guy where you know. Remember what the the narratives were about him before. Oh yeah, before like he was the tearing the team apart. Blah blah blah. Right. Taking and control. Now they have the the best locker room in the league, arguably. Like, I mean, who, there's who, no way. I mean, Ben, could you really have guessed this was what was going to happen this year? Are you saying he didn't plan all this? <laughs> he just stumbled <laughs> into it. Right. I mean, it's crazy. Last year was a shit show, for lack of a better word. I mean, how it ended with the Magic Johnson resignation and all the stuff that came out afterwards. I mean, talk about drama. I think last year we probably had more drama than any season I've ever covered. Um, no, no question. I mean, LeBron was on the shop, like, really upset about it, you know, yeah. his own TV show. And uh, the degree of difficulty there, when everyone knows you need to trade for Anthony Davis and, you know, you've got to deal with, like, LeBron and Rich Paul and keeping them happy and... If you don't get Anthony Davis, there's really no one else out there. So all your eggs are in one basket. And, you know, you've got, you know, real quality young pieces in Brandon Ingram and, and Lonzo Ball where you could talk yourself into trying to just roll forward with those guys and see what happens and, and take the next step with them. I mean, these were very difficult decisions for him. So I, he deserves a lot of attention too. Um, but, uh, you know, ultimately I'll, I'll stick with Presti. I just wanted to add real quick, but that Palinka I think deserves credit as well for, for navigating – through not getting Kawhi Leonard, having having to wait for Kawhi Leonard to make his decision while players were signing, um, losing out on him, and then having to create a roster around LeBron and AD um, with what was left, Danny Green and the other guys. So a roster that I think that was a big part too. What was there? Yeah, um, yeah. You know his backup plan was awesome. I mean Green was a perfect fit, um, and to have that one teed up, that worked out great for them. Ben, thank you for joining us. Where can people find you? Uh, WashingtonPost.com uh, slash sports. And I'm on Instagram at Ben.Golliver and on Twitter at Ben Golliver. Um, there's the Open Floor Podcast with Sports Illustrated. And then I also do one called uh, Greatest of All Talk. Uh, you can check that out at GreatestOfAllTalk.com. Sweet. Thank you. As usual, uh, you can follow Ryan Ward at Ryan Ward LA on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Uh, you can follow me at Tomer Zarly. That's T-O-M-E-R-A-Z-A-R-L-Y on Twitter and Instagram. Um, as always, leave a five-star review for the podcast. Tell us what you guys think, uh, comments, questions, suggestions, concerns, all that stuff. We love it. We want to hear it. Um, and once again, thank you again for joining us, Ben. We really appreciate it. Uh, hope your hiatus, um, proceeds as best as possible, I guess. Like don't get sick. Um, 
<laughs> stay away from people. Social distance. This goes for everyone. Please social distance. This is not a joke. Um, do not go out to the beaches. Uh, do not hoard toilet paper. You don't need that much. And, um, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed it, and we'll catch you guys next week. See you guys.